Web Services. Welcome to the Cloud and Out podcast. We are your hosts, Andreas and Michael Wittig. We have been building on AWS since 2009. Follow along uh, in our journey building products like BucketAV, Marbot, and HyperEnv and learn from our practice. This is episode number 83. We are recording this on November 16th in 2023. In case you're watching this live on either YouTube or LinkedIn, feel free to ask your questions and we will answer them um, during the show. So, Andreas, uh, what was uh, a topic that, that you worked on in the last, I think it was weeks, uh, so what did you learn uh, um, while working with AWS? Yeah, yeah, Michael. So, um, so I was working on a relatively easy-sounding task, actually. So the the idea is so Bucket AV, our uh, solution to scan S3 buckets for malware, um, um, was using instance types like M5, um, T3. And customers were asking about um, they wanted to use the newer instance families like an M7i, M7a or something like that. Um, and so the task on our Trello board was, <laughs> was actually quite simple. So just add new, uh, the new instance families uh, and allow customers to use it. Um, um, but as, as always, when you dive into things, it gets a little more complicated. And the thing is here... So we sell um, Bucket AV um, for customers in all uh, commercial AWS regions, so 28 regions, when I uh, have that in my head correctly. Um, so the thing is, we have to make, ensure that our solution works in all of those regions. And um, therefore, I checked which instance families, which instance types are actually available uh, in all the regions. And um, to do so, uh, I've written a, a small script um, to get all that information out of the AWS API. Because, uh, Michael, do you have a guess how many EC2 instance families and instance types AWS offers those days? Oh, so it's a lot. So I would say over 100 families and maybe 600 instance types. Yeah, you're, you're relatively close. So it's 116 instance families, and those families altogether consist of 761 instance types. So this is quite a lot. So I had a script running, <laughs> and this was basically checking which of those instance families is available in which region. Uh, and here's what I found out. So the first thing, that's maybe what you would have expected, but there's only one region that supports all the instance types. And of course, this is the largest, oldest, US East one region. So if you really want to use all the available instance types, that's the only region you can choose. Uh, and then what's also maybe interesting is there are only a few instance families that are available in all the regions. Um, so this is the, uh, the fifth generation C5, M5, R5, then the T3 uh, and T4G uh, instance types. Um, so those are the things that are available in all regions. And then the I3 uh, instance families as well. So 12 instance families only that you can pick in all the regions. So 
For Bucket AV, formerly we used the M5 and T3 instance types only, because, and they are available uh, in all regions actually. So now, as we are adding more instance families, they are no longer available in, in all the regions. Um, so that is what I found out. Uh, and then the next thing um, that I uh, found from my data is um, that new regions, um, they support only a small subset of the available instance types, instance families. So for example, um, uh, Asia Pacific Southeast 4 uh, only provides 30% of the instance families. So we can see that basically AWS is rolling out the instance families to new regions very slowly, very gradually. So Andreas, um, did you say 13%? percent mm -hmm. Okay, that's yeah. not a lot. <laughs> no, that's basically the, the, the default ones that, that yeah. I talked about and then a few of the newer ones and then that's okay. it. Yeah. Um, and um, I will link uh, the blog post that I published yesterday um, which contains even more fine granular uh, information. So if you want to look which instance types are available in which regions and uh, check out that blog post, it contains tables and all the numbers uh, that I talked you through. Um, I found that kind of interesting and the challenge is really if you, so from the one side it's, it's very cool that we can use AWS to deploy our infrastructure to um, data centers all around the world but there's also a complexity with that because the, the regions are not 100% the same so we talked about that many times but the instance types is another example where they differentiate from each other. Yeah, I can I can add one one example of 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 such a like inconsistency between regions that I remember. Um, this was also like discovered um, by um, developing Bucket AV because we have a test that basically spins up our product in all the regions, and in 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 two regions it was failing, like two new regions, and the error was that there was something around. A spot allocation strategy was not yet supported in that region, so that was really a very, very tiny feature of an autoscaling group was missing, and I, I, I was not aware that such a thing can actually happen. But that was really a bummer. And one thing, another aspect, Andreas, that I want to add um, is your kind of um, statistic that you created over the instance families and types um, is kind of on a region scope, right? But what we also discovered is that in some availability zones, instance types are missing, which is completely crazy. So, for example, in US East 1, there are availability zones that are missing instance types uh, that are available in other availability zones. So this is really, then it, it really gets crazy, right? So, I mean, you deploy the solution in two accounts and because of this way that how availability zones are, are assigned so that they kind of randomly kind of assign the letters A, B, C, uh, it, it is possible that in one account it, you can deploy the solution in another account it's not working uh, and you have very little control over that actually so that that's also something that kind of a headache that that you might run into when you deploy your solution into into multiple regions and things like that yeah but as you said um the 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 the, the picture is actually quite um quite clear so Newer regions have more cause more troubles than older ones, basically, and yeah, choose the region wisely. Basically, is is um, the the uh, advice, right, Andreas? Absolutely, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, we when we did consulting work back in the days, Andreas, like we had customers, like there was a region opening in, in Germany, which was like, because we are based in Germany, this was like a big, big thing for lots of German customers of AWS. So they were all kind of jumping to migrate uh, to uh, Frankfurt. And I mean, they were running into all those problems. <laughs> and there was even capacity shortages and stuff like that compared to the Ireland region, which is, which is kind of the US East one region of, of Europe. So that's the biggest region here. And and I mean, if you if you started there, then you have basically everything available, and then you kind of moved into a region where there was basically just a subset available. So that just uh, uh, sorry. So I just remember that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I was I was also um, working on on a, an aspect that covers BuckerDB, but it actually it it's not. It's not only does not only apply to our bucket EV antivirus Amazon S3 solution, uh, kind of what you said before. So you you kind of worked on bucket EV, but the, the result applies to other workloads as well. So I was and I I, I constantly check the AWS blogs and the what's new um, feed to just kind of keep myself up to date with all the changes. And there was one item popping into my um, RSS reader. Uh, which uh, is titled Amazon Connect now enables scanning of attachments for malware. And because of our work with BuckDV, um, whenever I read scanning attachment malware, so I'm kind of I kind of um, alerted because that's kind of what we do uh, as well. So I was looking into that, and before I read the description, I was just assuming that okay, Amazon Connect now scans the files. Kind that's kind of what the the the, the title says, but I soon learned that I have to read more carefully, Andrea. So because it actually says that Amazon Connect now enables scanning. So it doesn't scan, it just enables the scanning. So what does it mean? Um, it means that Amazon Connect now has an integration point where they invoke your Lambda function before the attachment is actually made available. Um, so this is what they actually offer, an integration point. Um, and that sounded like a challenge, right? Because we have the scanning capabilities already in BuckerDB. And I thought, okay, it shouldn't be too hard to plug that in. So I looked into the details. And it turns out that what, what happens is that Amazon Connect, um, you can configure it to basically provide an Amazon resource name of a Lambda function. And then Amazon Connect will invoke that function. And they have a predefined uh, event schema that they send into your function. And it contains all kinds of metadata, including an S3 bucket and an S3 key. So this is the, the storage place where the file is stored on an Amazon S3 bucket. So that's really straightforward for us in BucketDB because we can we already can do that. We can scan files on S3. So that was kind of easy. Um, the thing that caused some um, more thinking on my side is that what they do is they invoke this Lambda function synchronously and they wait for up to 16 seconds for the result. Um, and if things go wrong, so if you uh, the, the function throws an error, uh, they retry for three times. Um, the problem is uh, the synchronous part, and I will talk about that in a, in a, in a second. Um, the response that is expected basically is kind of a, a JSON structure where you provide a value of approved or rejected. And if you say this is approved, then the attachment is, is, is kind of made available to the other party. And if you say it's rejected, then the attachment will be um, kind of blocked. So that's kind of it from a technical perspective. So as I already said, two kind of uh, approaches clash. So 
Amazon Connect uses the synchronous approach, while BuckyDV uses an asynchronous approach. So with BuckyDV, you send a scan job to an SQS queue and you get the result on an SNS topic. And in between, there's basically no waiting. You just you are just informed by the event on the SNS topic. So how can I kind of um, make this this two or kind of unite those two words? And I mean, the short answer is there is no really no good solution. Um, there is a solution, and this is what I think I call busy polling. So what I did is I have a lambda function that connects to our SNS topic, and this um, basically persists the scan result in the DynamoDB table with a very short time to live. So I have uh, 120 seconds. And then on the other side, in my Lambda function that is invoked by Amazon Connect in a synchronous way, I basically every second I check the DynamoDB table if there is an item for my uh, file ID. <laughs> and, and once there is an item, then I, I look into the DynamoDB item and then I decide if it's clean or infected. Um, I mean, this is not efficient uh, because you pay for the uh, Lambda function invocation time. But in this use case, I mean, the number of files that are uploaded is is not, I mean, that's not millions, right? So that's probably hundreds or, or thousands a day. So assuming that it, it's, a, I think, a good enough solution to make it work. Um, and that's what I did. It it works. Uh, we, we already shipped the feature uh, for our BuckingDB customers. And I also wrote a blog post for Cloud and Out. And we will release that next week because Andreas or, or already has his uh, EC2 instance types blog post released this week. So I will I will release that next week. Uh, it, it shows the code, uh, the Lambda function code, as well as the CDK code to de- deploy everything. So if you are interested in that, if you're an Amazon Connect user, uh, you can check that out. And you can replicate it even if you're not using BuckingDB. So it works um, uh, with with other um, um, scan um, solutions, well, Michael, that, I think that's really cool, and I'm I'm really proud that you were able to deliver that feature two days after the announcement from AWS. So this is really cool. So now, uh, Amazon Connect users can make sure that when users chatting with their agents in their support center. Um, can check uploaded attachments for for malware. I think that's really cool. And um, are you aware of any other uh, provider that already integrated with Emerson Connect? Um, I have not. I have not seen anything. Uh, but I mean, I'm not watching them so closely that I okay. would notice okay. that within a couple of hours. But um, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So I have uh, one more topic. Um, one other thing I came across is. Um, called the S3 object lock. Um, so um, this is, has been around for quite quite a while. So the idea is that you configure an S3 bucket so that data can uh, only be written once and you ensure that data cannot be deleted or manipulated later. Um, so that is an important feature of uh, storage, um, for example, to, uh, to um, comply with legal requirements to keep data for specific uh, time periods and to ensure no one can um, modify that data in, the, in this time. So to enable S3 object lock, um, the requ- uh, one requirement is you need to enable S3 bucket versioning. Uh, when you do that, enable S3 bucket versioning, then that means when you upload a new version of an object, S3 will also keep the old one. So this is one effect. So you're just um, keeping all the versions of each object. And if you delete uh, an object, um, basically everything that happens is uh, a delete marker 
uh, is stored uh, under the object key. The data, the versions uh, are still available and you can um, go back to them if you want to. So that is a requirement, the versioning for, for object lock. And then you can enable um, the object lock uh, on the, on the uh, uh, configure that on the bucket. Um, and there are two modes. So one is the governance mode and one is the compliance mode. The governance mode means um, you can still delete an object version, uh, but only if you have uh, additional IAM actions um, in the policies attached to your uh, IAM user role or group. Uh, the compliance mode means no one, not even the root account, the root user account of the AWS account, can then delete um, data or, or rewrite data. Um, so, um, so that's maybe interesting. So be careful when you <laughs> work with that option because you could um, um, yeah, run into problems that you are not able to delete data and you have to pay for the storage in that time. Okay, be careful with that. And then um, when you use uh, object lock, you basically configure the retention period um, that you want to enable this um, object lock for. And uh, you can do that either on the bucket level. So for all the objects that are getting uploaded to the bucket, you can define a default, or you can define it when um, creating the object, uh, putting the object into the bucket. Um, so both is possible. Um, so when you do that, when object lock is enabled for an object, then you can still um, delete an object because all what everything that happens is it creates a delete marker so the data is still around but if you try then to delete the object version uh, so the, the actual data then you get an access denied um, so this is no longer uh, possible um, and to ensure that um, users are really using the uh, object um, retention configuration um, you should then um, use a bucket policy um, that requires um, all data to use a specific retention period. You can even, so that might be even a thing to configure for, for the whole account um, to make sure that you cannot choose a retention period of 100 years <laughs> for, for the data you're storing. So to protect you from running into issues, that might be even a... Uh, Actually, an interesting idea that, that came to my mind right now. So maybe something you can do in large organizations to prevent um, unaccidental use of object locks as well. So you can basically specify um, a range of the allowed retention period in days in an IAM policy or resource policy. Yeah. Uh, yeah when so you say retention period, Andreas, sorry. When mm -hmm. you say retention period, that's the retention period for the object lock, right? It's not for yes. the object itself. Yeah, okay. yeah there are Basically, you can do both, right? So there's also for the data itself, you yeah. can delete it after a while, but that's something different here. It's only okay. the object lock. This expires after that time span. So for example, if you are forced to keep um, the data for 10 years and afterwards it's, it's okay to delete it, then you can mm -hmm. configure that in that way. Yeah. So that is a, a kind okay. of cool feature. So I, I had a look into it in more detail while... Um, answering a support request and I, I didn't know about all those details so I was um, learning something new <laughs> while, while working on that as yeah. well. I mean there's one question that I have Andreas and I don't expect you to answer it actually but, but I mean you said that if, if, with the compliance mode not even the root user can delete it but what happens if I delete the account 
at will they will they basically mm-hmm. pause it until all objects are expired or it's will they just delete the account it's <laughs> a very good question we should we should ask um, someone yeah. from AWS to answer that question or maybe it's somewhere in the documentation yeah i will try because to i mean if i have root user access right i i can i can just delete the whole account so that maybe yeah if i want to get or get rid of that's, the data. That's okay. a very good question. Maybe you find the loophole in all <laughs> the whole system. <laughs> okay, let, let's try to figure that out until I think, the next episode. I think I have a good solution, Andreas. I think we, we can introduce a new feature of AWS that's called account lock. <laughs> oh, account lock, yes. <laughs> You're right, yeah. So, yeah. so I think okay. that's, that's good for the feature count, right? So let's just add an account lock. <laughs> okay, so maybe it's already solved the problem, right? If anyone knows, let us know. Um, but... That's kind of an interesting uh, situation. So last but not least, Andreas, I think um, we we launched or we worked on a, a new product. And I, I don't know if you actually talked about it much, but it's called Attachment AV. And it is not AWS related, actually. I mean, it runs on AWS, but it, it, it solves a different problem. And the problem that it solves at the moment is that it protects Jira and Confluence workloads uh, from... Um, malware so basically whenever you upload a file to Jira or confluence it will scan that file so it's kind of similar to what bucket AV does right but it, it it works for atlassian products um and what we uh already did and what we uh implemented and what a couple of customers are already using is exactly this kind of feature set and uh, what we are looking for is a uh, feedback from uh users uh, of the product and we are hoping that uh Someone that is an AWS user out there that's listening to our podcast might already be an Atlassian user. And if that's you, and if you are a, a Jira Confluence admin, so if you have permissions to install an app, um, please reach out to us. Um, you can use the email address hello at attachmentav.com and I will paste that into, into the chat uh, in, in a second. And, and let us know that you're interested. And what we provide you uh, uh, in response is a six-month uh, free version of the app for as many users as you have in your Jira or Confluence instance. And it only works for Confluence Cloud, so that's something I have to add as well. And then you can try it out. And, and all we, we basically want is uh, feedback uh, on the existing features and the missing features uh, because we want to kind of improve the product and therefore we need some feedback from from users actually uh, and we hope that, that someone out there is is interested in that so if that's you please let us know and we will make sure that uh, we set up everything for you so that it works so michael there's uh, wolfgang uh, in the chat has um, has mentioned that dynamodb has a similar feature with the ttl field um, yes that that is that is true so so we're basically mixing different things here. So S3 has the retention period for objects, that it deletes an object after a certain amount of time. Um, DynamoDB has the TTL field that you can configure for a table, which will also then delete an item from a table. Um, and then the object lock retention period is basically the time span that you cannot delete uh, a certain object version from S3. So those are the, the available uh, features. And I think um, through, from my um, experience, this, it's, it's kind of, these are kind of useful features because being able to get rid of old data automatically is always a cool thing um, to do if, if it's possible because um, you're not then piling up data and also comply with um, data um, 
data privacy laws and so on. So when you build a system, always think about that. How long do I have to keep the data? And if you have to ensure that you keep it for a certain time span, use the object lock. But then also think about how to delete all data automatically. And then with Dynamo TTL or S3 retention period for objects, those are um, features that are really um, simplifying that because going through large lists of data in tables or S3 buckets is um, expensive and uh, complicated as well. Um, so try to avoid that. Yeah, that's a very good hint from Wolfgang. Thank you for and that. Andreas, I can maybe add one thing there. Um, so I think we have a couple of minutes left, right? So <laughs> I can expand on that. So what you said, basically, and I will apply to the real world. So we have a product called Marbot. And we have exactly the same problem, right? I mean, Marbot is um, a product where uh, you send alerts to Marbot and it distributes them to Slack or Teams. And what we do out of the box is every alert that comes in is deleted from our database after 14 days. So we just we just remove it from the database, from DynamoDB using the TTL feature. And <clears throat> what we can't delete automatically after TTL is, for example, the data about the Slack team. So we have to keep that. Um, and also for the Slack channels and Microsoft Teams channels, for example, or Teams and what we do to delete them is actually much more complicated because um, we don't know how many channels actually are used. So we cannot run this in a Lambda function and just loop over all the channels in a Lambda function and hope that it works within 300 seconds, right? So what we do is we spin up a snap function. So when you basically uninstall our product, we, we spin up a, a snap function. And the snap function goes and deletes all this data that cannot be deleted with a TTL. And, and this is really like, if you look at the code, like this is much more complex than just deleting it after 14 days. So um, as you said, if, if, if you can, just delete the data automatically after a certain amount of time because that's kind of implemented by AWS, right? So we don't have to care about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good, yeah. Okay, Michael, so maybe one, one thing before we close this episode. So reInvent is around the corner and I'm already getting excited about all the new pre-announcements that are coming in my RSS feed uh, those days. Uh, so I'm looking forward um, to reInvent. Unfortunately, neither of us will fly to Vegas this year. So we are watching this um, remotely from here. Um, we will definitely discuss some of the things in the next uh, episodes. Um, and um, yeah, wish you uh, fun if you're traveling to reInvent and also uh, looking for all the announcements going on. And as as um, a company that is building products around the AWS ecosystem, we are also a little frightened that one of the announcements <laughs> will replace one of our products. But uh, let's see and hope for the best. <laughs> let's hope for the best. Yeah. So that's a good, a good, a good uh, end of the show, Andreas. So <laughs> absolutely. Okay, Michael. So that's it. Uh, we will be back soon. Subscribe to our newsletter, podcast, YouTube channel to make sure you're not missing the upcoming shows. Um, you'll find all the links in the show notes. We're looking forward to your feedback. Hello at cloudonout.io or find us on LinkedIn and Mastodon. Thanks for watching. Bye. Yeah, bye. Have a great day.